Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and today we are revisiting what I thought was a really fun and fascinating conversation with comedian Joe Coy. That's because this weekend, his big new movie, Easter Sunday, finally lands in theaters. Here's a little taste from the trailer. Joseph, are you coming for Easter? I don't know, Mom. I'm really busy. I just tested for this pilot. You're going to be a pilot? A network pilot for, like, a TV show. Ah, you're playing a pilot on the TV show. No, a lawyer. You could have been a lawyer if you only applied yourself. Joe was already super hyped about this project when he joined me on the podcast last April revealing that Steven Spielberg actually helped make the film a reality after seeing him perform stand-up. We covered a ton of ground in this episode, including a lot about his history with another former Last Laugh guest, Chelsea Handler. And that was before they became comedy's cutest couple and then ultimately parted ways earlier this summer. In addition to Easter Sunday, Joe has yet another Netflix special, this one titled Live from the Los Angeles Forum, dropping September 13th. So I figured there is no time like the present to repost this episode for anyone who may have missed it or just wants to check it out again. Here's me with Joe Coy. So yeah, thanks for doing this. Um, I know I was looking back, I remember we we almost were going to do, uh, you were almost going to do this podcast like two years ago uh, when Coming In Hot came out and then it didn't oh. end up working out um, for some reason, but so I'm glad we're getting to do it now. Yeah, thank God. Now I really feel like I know you because I just finished reading your new book. Oh, thank you. Mixed Plate and really enjoyed it. Uh, it was really, really, uh, you have such an insane story, life story. And and I, you know, so much that I didn't know even from, even after watching your specials, because it really gets into some of the... Uh, the darker stuff that maybe doesn't doesn't ma- always make it on stage. Yeah, of course. You know that that's the beauty of a book, right? You get to you get to be more detailed, and and I, I also don't have to worry about relying on the punchline. You know, for me to justify saying it on stage. You know, it, it, it's hard. You know, because I still want to be funny. You know, like there's a lot of things in my act that I said. You know, uh, about my family that were very personal, and and I still had to find a way to make it funny. And and I was proud of those things. You know, like the the stories about my sisters moving out at 17. Like, yeah, it's a funny joke, and a lot of people were walking up to me and you know saying, "Hey, my sister walked out at, at 16," and you know, everyone was like relating to the joke. But I don't think that people understood just how traumatic that was as a kid to see that happen. You know, to see your your two big sisters move out and be by yourself and 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 not understanding why you don't have the courage to do the same, you know what I mean? Or it's crazy. It's a, a lot of identity that that you face, a lot of identity issues that you face when you're a kid, and and, and realizing later on in life, like, wow, I, I went through a lot, didn't realize it. <laughs> no, I mean, there there's definitely this very distinct trajectory in your comedy career from sort of broader, less personal to more personal. I think that's the way a lot of comedians go, honestly, as they start to talk more about themselves and their family later on. But you talk about in the book how you really, it was like all dick jokes at the beginning. It was like, that that was your thing. And then it really, there was a moment where you started specifically talking about your mom that really changed things for you. So what was that? What was that moment for you where you, you know, said, now I'm going to, I'm going to start talking about my mom. And, and how did that change things for you? It was the, the thing was, I wish I would have wrote it a little better in the book, but basically what I was saying is it was easy to go to the dick jokes because it was easy to be funny that way. And, and, but, but how could I tell my story or how can I tell people who I was without doing the, the basic comparison shit. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to do the, Hey, Filipinos eat this and white, white people don't eat that. Right. Am I right? Like, I didn't want to do that, you know? And, and I I wanted to do it the right way. I wanted to represent my mom's culture and and my culture the right way and and, and give it a voice to where people would relate to it and, and appreciate it. And, and I, and I was willing to not do it until I figured it out. You know, and and it wasn't until that one joke. It's so funny how it, it it just lands on one joke, but it's literally it was Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, 
and, and uh, I bought the Wii for my son. And to see my mom play the Wii with my son, I had to go on stage and say it and, and, and literally just say what I and describe what I saw, become my mom. And that's when I realized, oh, people understand this character. You know what I mean? People get this. This is just a mom playing the Wii. And oh, mine just happens to be Filipino. Boom. There you go. Now you know who I am. And now you can relate to it because moms just do the same mom shit. And, and she only has one game. It's Wii Sport. It's the one that it came with, the free game. Right? So she puts it in there and she closes it, right? And then, and then she does it. She goes, Joseph, uh, go ahead and uh, pick one of your games. What sport do you want to play? I don't know, bowling? She goes, oh, that's my favorite. So she picks bowling, and then she selects her character. If you don't have a Wii, you can make your own character. She's made a character. And this character looks just like her. It's got, she's got short black hair, glasses, a red turtleneck, a fucking mole. And she goes, Joseph, I made one for you, too. I go, really? She goes, yeah. And I pick it. I pick Joe. And it's just a bald fucking guy. She goes, ha, it looks just like you. Yeah, and it wasn't about her being Filipino necessarily. Yeah, and, and that, that, it took me years, man. It took me years to finally figure that out. And then when I finally realized that it was just stories that needed to be told, it was over with after that. I was like, I got a shitload of those stories. <laughs> well, in the book, you know, there, there is this balance, obviously, between, you know, talking about your identity um, and being, you know, half Filipino and then stuff that's more broad. There are a lot of stories in the book um, about your childhood, about facing, you know, anti-Asian racism, which obviously is something that's in the news right now as we're talking and is, and is really taken, I think, I've, I don't think it's ever been talked about as much as it's being talked about right now. So how are you kind of thinking about that, um, you know, with, with your book coming out right now and that this is such a big topic? I mean, just, just how, are you, how are you feeling about where we are, you know, in the country right now? It's so crazy because I started writing the book, you know, almost two and a half years ago, I believe. And um, it, it, it's it's funny because now now with the, everything, you know, the light being shined on on something that was so horrific and so evil, and that it took those things to to really shine the light on, you know, and, and cause awareness and show just how ignorant, especially the ones that did it, how ignorant, and evil they were. But but what I love the most out of, if you could say this, and I hate saying it, but what I love the most out of what has happened, if we could say that, the community of people that have band together, you know what I mean? Like, it's unlike anything I've ever seen, you know, especially through my years, you know what I mean? Like, you know, seeing the the the, the type of racism that my mom had to go through. It was kind of like we lived in a, a time where it was just like, okay, well, let's not be, let's not talk about that. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're just guests in this country. Like, that was the kind of mentality that my mom had. Even though she was an American, she still felt like a guest. And it's like, oh, of course you could do that. To me, and and it's okay. I get it, you know. But no, we now we're in a point. Now we're at the time where it's like, no, we don't get it, and it's not cool. And we're all Americans, and we all live here. And it, and, and if you fuck up and do something evil like that, we're gonna band together and we're gonna shut you down. And that's what's happening right now. And I love it. I love the social platforms that we have, t- TikTok and and Facebook and and Instagram, because now we don't have to wait for the the news source to to get it. We we don't have to pray to God that maybe they'll talk about it on the evening news like we used to back in the day. Now we're like, you do something, and guess what? Billions of people are going to go ahead and put a hashtag on it, and we're going to catch you. And if you want to not educate yourself and you want to continue to be ignorant, then that's you. Stay there. You know what I mean? But we're going to let you. We're going to let the world know. You know what I mean? Because there, there's too many tools now, man, to educate yourself. You don't have to go buy a book anymore. You don't have to ask a professor about something, man. You can Google just about anything about anyone and anything they do, and 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 learn. You know what I mean? And be educated. I'm kind of sick of those lazy answers of, oh, I don't really get it. What does that have to do with me? Well, those kind of people, I I just, I don't have time for those people anymore. And and I'm glad that we're, we're living in this time. I'm glad that my son has these tools to make sure that his voice is heard. 
you know, I've read other comedians' books and obviously, you know, I've interviewed a lot of comedians and I I think a lot, there's a cliche that comedy comes from trauma and all that. And it's true for some people and not true for others. But I think for you, it really, it really is true. There's a yeah. lot of trauma in your, in your background and, and obstacles that you had to face. Yeah. It's just, you know, just the, you know, my Netflix special alone, you know, live from Seattle. I always talk about live from Seattle and you know, Hey, look, Netflix has the responsibility to choose who they want on their, on their platform. They have, you know, the people that are picked for those, that position, it's a huge responsibility. I get it. If I was in that position, I'd be the same way. You know, you make the wrong decision, cost you your job. I'm not making an excuse, but what I'm saying is I get it. It's a business, right? And so, so they didn't choose my special for 2017 when I kept asking them. Even though I didn't understand, I was selling out theaters, multiple theaters across. I was breaking numbers. You know what I mean? I was breaking records. And, and, but, but for some reason, Netflix said no. Whatever the case may be, it's a business decision. I get it. But now it's up to me to show them why they should say yes, right? So now I had to come out of my pocket and I had to pay for life from Seattle. That cost me so much money to do that. With, with, with and, and still know that even though I shoot this and edit and cut it and, and it becomes a final product, they still said no. Like what I'm saying is- They could I, still I say no. They yeah. could still say no because they already told me no. Like yeah, yeah. me shooting it is just a risk on my own. I'm just betting on myself at this point. So yeah, most people wouldn't do that. No. And, and, and that's what I wanted to get at this book. Like, you know, sometimes we see people and, you know, we see how, you know, they're successful, whatever it is. Right. But no one really wants to dig deep and find out the backstory. Why don't you find out what they did to get there? And maybe that'll inspire you. You don't have to like me, but just love what I did. Love my hustle. And, and maybe that'll inspire you. Cause I will tell you, there's countless comics that inspired me, and 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 that's what I did. I, I watched them, and I was like, if they can do it, then I can do it. Yeah, no, I mean, it, there's that hustle and that and those decisions that you made along the way really come through in the book because not only are there things like the Live from Seattle special that you you know paid for yourself and then ultimately sold to Netflix, you also talk about things that you opportunities that you did get that you turned down for various reasons. And I was really interested <laughs> yeah. in those. I mean, there's one is the, the Kim's of comedy, which some people might know, um, was yeah. this, uh, special with, with four Asian comedians that was offered to you and, and you said no. And then the other one, um, is you were offered to be Chelsea Handler's sidekick on, yeah. on Chelsea lately. So can you talk a little bit about those two things and, and what made you decide at that point in your career when, you know, it's not like you were wildly successful at that point, but you said, you know, no, I don't want to do these things. Yeah. And, you know, no disrespect to the Kims of comedy, because I know I'm friends with, you know, them. I'm friends with Bobby, Ken Jung, Steve Bobby Byrne. Lee, yeah. Yeah. I, I love those guys. And I was supposed to be number four. And um, I said no to it. I was working at Nordstrom Rack at that time. And <laughs> Uh, seriously. And I was working at Borders Books. How ironic. I didn't even think of that. I was working at this store that, that they're no longer around, but it was called Borders Books, shelving books. And, um, and you know, I needed the money, man. My son was like a newborn. He was like one or two. And, but my goal and my dream was to be a stand-up comedian. And, and I wanted my hour special. And to me, I didn't understand, like there were theme shows out at that time. There was the, the Kings of Comedy. There was blue collar comedy. And, you know, there was uh, other ones that, where there were themes, you know, but within those themes, those were seasoned veterans with our specials. They already had them in place. They just combined together and made this package, which, which made it even more amazing. My whole point was, why is it that none of us have our specials? That was my whole, that was my whole point behind that argument. I was just like, Bobby Lee is funny on his own. He deserves an hour special. Ken Jung, and by the way, this is before Ken Jung was on Hangover or anything. He was literally going by Dr. Ken Jung. He would go up on stage with a guitar and, <laughs> you know, and, and then go home because he was a doctor. Because he like, was still a doctor. Yeah. He was still a doctor. And then Steve Byrne, this is before he had his own TV show and he was directing the movies. Like, he was funny on his own. None of us had our specials. Not, not one of us. And that was my question. I was just like, well, we're all funny on our own and we all deserve our specials. Why do we have to come together as one to get on, you know, on Comedy Central? Why? why? We, we, we all deserve an hour special first and then we could do a theme. That was my whole point. My whole point is we all deserve an hour and, and I was willing to not do it because I knew I, I could get my hour. I, I wanted my hour and I was going to, fall on the sword, <laughs> you know? And, and, and if, if I never got an hour, well then, hey, at least I said, 
I was going to try and do it. You know what I mean? So, uh, and like I said, I love those guys and, and they all ended up being, look at them. They're all great on their own. But at that time I felt that I deserved an hour and not part of a theme, you know? And so that, and I stood my ground on that one. Don't get me wrong. When I saw it air on TV, I was kicking myself like, shit, I made the yeah. wrong decision. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I saw them all blow up, you know, and a lot of good things happened for those guys. You know, Steve ended up getting a, a TV show and Ken ended up movies, you know what I mean? And then of course, uh, you know, Bobby with Mad T, everything started happening. So, but you know what? Glad I made that decision that I did because uh, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. Yeah, no regrets on that one. Chelsea Handler on the other hand people don't know this but we me and chelsea were friends before any of this you know what i mean so i was i knew about chelsea lately before anybody it was like her and like her producers and then like <laughs> joe coy which was the weirdest thing because we became friends we were opening up for john lovitz together and oh, yeah. yeah and john was like you gotta meet chelsea she's hysterical <laughs> She's my only friend on on MySpace. I swear to God, that's what he said. And I remember going home and opening up his MySpace page, and it literally was like Tom and Chelsea. And and uh, and that's how I met Chelsea. And, and she, we we just you know we we just her and I just have this chemistry, man. There's just something about her and I, man. When we're in the room together, it's over with. And and that's how our relationship has always been. From the minute I met her, she's just you know you know she's Chelsea. She's amazing. And uh, and she told me about the idea. And, uh, it, it went, you know, it went far, like literally far, like to the point where we're about to shoot. And, uh, you know, we, we took meetings and ideas and we were throwing ideas around and it was, by the way, uh, none of this was my idea. Let's just get that out of it. This is all Chelsea's, this, everything that Chelsea lately was Chelsea. This was her brainchild. She came up with everything. I'm just saying like when she came up with the whole sidekick idea, I was throwing out little ideas of what I could do for the show. But when it came down to actually taping it, I pulled out. And and for the same reason, I wanted my hour special and I wanted a Joe Coy show. <laughs> you didn't want I, to be your sidekick. I didn't want to be known as a sidekick. I didn't, I, I knew if I took that on, you know, and it it, 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 it would be known as Chelsea Handler's guy, on you know, the guy on the side. I didn't want to be Andy Richter, Ed McMahon. I wanted to be Joe Coy. And, and, and I said, no, mind you, I'm still working at Nordstrom Rack. <laughs> I'm still shelving shoes. I'm, I'm literally letting go of a golden opportunity. She cursed me out so hard on the phone. I wish I would have recorded that, man. Like it, it'd be such <laughs> yeah, good. Send like, that good, to TMZ. Oh man. No, I would. I, I'd give it to her for sure. <laughs> But the way she yelled at me was just so Chelsea, man. The, you know, cursing me, every curse word you could possibly think of, telling me it's the stupidest decision. And I, I get it. She was offended. You know what I mean? She she knew that this thing was going to be a hit. And here I am pulling away as if I'm, I don't believe in her. So yeah, I would have done the same thing. And she was just like, this show's going to be a hit. Fuck yourself. Good luck. And um, and you fucked up. Like basically, like literally, she that's how she was talking. And then she hung up. And I remember going to work. And six months later, my my ex-wife, my wife at the time, picked me up at Nordstrom Rack. And literally, she had no idea who Chelsea was, by the way. And picking me up at work. And then she's like, have you ever heard of Chelsea Handler? <laughs> and my mouth dropped. And I was like, why? She's like, she's got this show on E. Holy shit. It's so funny. I'm oh recording it. I can't wait for you to go home and watch it. And we went home. I, I remember in the car, I was like, that's Chelsea. That's, you know, I said no to that show. Yeah, remember? And, uh, yeah. yeah. And then next thing you know, uh, we're watching it. And I, I remember just saying to myself, I fucked up. <laughs> then Chelsea, you know, she called me and, and she put me on the show. And, and next thing you know, everyone thought I was like one of the cast members because I was on it so much. And uh, so, yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about Chelsea, by the way. You know what I mean? She shares her line light she shares it and she understands that it takes a, a team for something to be big as it was like that show needed all of us not just chelsea it needed chelsea for sure but it also needed those guys on the panel like we were heather to sarah to you know josh ross myself lonnie like i can go on jen kurtman like the original cast man we were it, it was amazing ben, was that all those guys was that sort of like your biggest exposure uh national you know tv exposure at that 
point? Yeah, man. I always tell her, thank you. I, I always say that to her. I go, you were literally the modern day Johnny Carson. Like, you know, when you're a comic, you always heard those rumors about Johnny Carson. If he waved you over to the desk, you made it. You made it. If you sat down and he interviewed you, it was done. That meant Hollywood. Like he was literally telling Hollywood, you need to sign this guy indirectly. Like, and we missed that. None of the comics got that, you know, he already retired and times were changing, you know what I mean? And, and Chelsea was a big part of that change. She, she adapted to the new culture. You know what I mean? There was a new, there was a new style of talk show. And, uh, and if you made it on that show, uh, you basically made it. Go look at the original cast, you know, the, the first three seasons, man. And look where they're at now. Look yeah, at there's there's a ton. Well. All man, come on. Well, well who do I got to say? You know what I mean? <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, Kevin came from that cast. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Kevin Hart, my, myself, Lonnie. Like, I mean, there's so many that just have blown up because of it, and we all owe her a huge thank you. You know. Coming up, Joe talks about his Tonight Show debut, and he reacts to the recent apology from Jay Leno for his history of jokes mocking Asian stereotypes. Let's just say it's complicated. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? What was in Al Capone's vault? Or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast, WikiHole, from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes on Wikipedia with host and friend of the last laugh, Darcy Carden, and her favorite comedian friends, as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to WikiHole, you will learn that's the sciencey term for eardrum. WikiHole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how the hell did we get here? Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. If you're enjoying this episode, please hit subscribe. Along with Joe Coy, we have had some of the biggest names in stand-up comedy on this podcast over the past couple of years, including Whitney Cummings, Anthony Jeselnik, Chelsea Handler, and so many others. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to those episodes and everything else from our free archive, and you'll be able to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Joe Coy. You did get something kind of close to the classic Johnny Carson moment when you went on uh, Tonight Show with Jay Leno, though, right? Woo! That guy changed my life. It was so funny because when I got the Tonight Show, you know, it was it was late in the game. There was a, now there's a ton of talk shows now, you know what I mean? Everybody had a talk show and... You know, it, the Tonight Show was still the Tonight Show. You know what I mean? YouTube was starting to come in. You know, YouTube was starting to take over uh, network. 
You know what I mean? So it didn't still have that same pool. You know what I mean? The audience, you know, back when Johnny was doing it, the whole world watched. And now there were so many outlets and so many shows. And, you know, but to, The Tonight Show still has that signature name. And, and I remember when I got The Tonight Show, a lot of my comic friends was like, well, at least you got tape. You know, they, they, they were... It's not going to change your life. Because, you know, it was coming from veterans that did it. You know, they were like, hey, man, I've done The Tonight Show 12 times, man. It's like, you know, it's good tape. You know, you can send it to clubs. It's good tape. You know, blah, blah, blah. But it's not, you're not going to, yeah, you're not going to get a TV show off. And, and, and I'm glad they said that. But in my head, it was my first uh, uh, TV, expo- it was my first national set, you know, on a, on a huge platform, which was The Tonight Show. I was going to speak to people that had never seen me before. So my mentality was, I'm going for the jugular. I, 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 need, I need my life to change now. I got four jobs right now and I'm tired of going on stage with mustard on my shirt. Cause I was cleaning <laughs> tables. Like I need this. And, uh, I got, I, it was so funny. Cause Joaquin Phoenix went long. He went long. He super, was the, super he long. He was the main guest. Yeah. He was the main guest and he went super long. And, uh, and was they were back like, when, is this back in the, like the days when he was like doing the super yeah, weird, he was doing uh, the super yeah. weird thing. And, and it was so funny because, uh, he, he was actually acting so weird that they came to my green room and they were like, Hey, give us a couple of extra questions because I think I think Joaquin's leaving. Because in the break, he was like, "I'm sick. I'm going to go home." So they 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 were expecting him to bailed. leave. Yeah, he almost bailed, and so they asked for like three extra questions for Jay to ask me. So I was like, I was like, "Yo, I'm about to do a couch segment." You know yeah. what I mean? Like this is my <laughs> life is about to change. So I, I'm getting all geared up, and then next thing you know, we're watching from the green room, and I'm like, "Yo, this guy's walking into my time now, right?" So then they walked in and they're like, yo, Joaquin went so long that you're not even going to be able to go to the couch anymore. We just need you to say goodnight and then just wave to the audience. Mm-hmm. And, like and you were going to close out the show? Yeah, and Jay's going to walk up to you and, and wave with you. So stand at your mark. And I was like, I was so sad, man. I was like, man. Yeah, you I wanted that couch up. moment. Yeah, I wanted that couch. But at the end of my set, man, I got that standing ovation. You know what I mean? And I remember looking to my side. You can watch the video, but I look to my side and, and I see Jay waving me over because I was waiting for him to come to me and he's waving me over. And he sat me down. I got that. I got to sit at the couch. And uh, I remember we went to break and he was like, I was like, uh, sorry, Jay, they told me to wait at my mark. I, I swear I wasn't, I, I swear that's what they told me. He was like, no, no, no. I told him that, I told him that you had to come over, man. I waved you over, man. You got a standing ovation. I, I never got a standing ovation when I was on a touch. <laughs> it was really cool, man. It was one of the best moments of my life. Yes, young comedian from Las Vegas. You can see him on Comedy Central's Premium Blend February 3rd. Also regular at the Laugh Factory right here in Hollywood. This is his first appearance on The Tonight Show. Please welcome Joe Coy. <laughs> yes! Okay, I am Asian, so stop looking at me like a math problem. A lot of you guys are looking at me like, what flavor is that? <laughs> living in Hollywood, you get the worst compliments. The worst living out here when you tell people you're Asian. It's like, oh, you're Asian? I love orange chicken. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's not a compliment, that's an insult. What do they expect you to do when they say that? Like, I'm supposed to go, oh, thank you. <laughs> It is good though, orange chicken. Oh, it's delicious. I love orange chicken. It's so funny. It's like, you know, you obviously have so much admiration and respect for Jay Leno. We happen to be talking today, the day after he just put out this big apology. Did you see this? Uh, that yes. He, he put out this, you know, apology for basically decades of, of jokes of, you know, sort of Asian jokes that he now feels were not appropriate or, or um, what was your reaction to that? I, it's beautiful. You know, like you can't look if, if you if you're going to apologize, uh, that means you're aware, you know, you're aware of your of what you've done. And, and, and you can only appreciate somebody for that. You know what I mean? He made a point to say, you know, he doesn't think this is cancel culture. He doesn't think, you know, he, he was he was pretty open about, you know. He really wanted to apologize for it. You, you also have to understand, and I'm not, and I'm not giving Jay an excuse. You know what I mean? Like I said, you can be ignorant for so long, and, you know. And if you choose to stay there, then that's on you. You you choose to be that person. But if you want to learn and, and, and really be aware and, and understand and open up, 
then that's a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? That's what makes us move forward as, as a human race, right? And, uh, and I, I would be lying if I didn't say, you know, the times that we grew up in was so normalized, you know what I mean? That we didn't, we didn't think that that was bad. We, it, we knew it was bad, but it's like, you know, like I said about my mom, you know, she felt sometimes like she was a visitor in this country. You know what I mean? Even though she was an American, you know, when, when I was going up those escalators and that kid turned around and pulled his eyes back and did the, oh, oh on my mom. My mom didn't respond by saying, hey, that, you can't do that to me. She responded by like, no, no, he's just being funny, Joseph, because she didn't know how to approach that situation. You know, that's like 1983 or, or something like that, 82. I can't remember when, but I just remember it, it burnt a hole in my soul for so long because when I wrote about it in the book, it was such detail. You know what I yeah, mean? Like you remembered every detail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, the trauma was there. And then, and then, of course, me just struggling with identity. You know what I mean? Me watching movies were... Asian representation was a certain way and it's making people laugh. And, and, and to me, I'm like, okay, well then that's what I got to do. You know what I mean? I don't know what I, I, I don't know what to do. Like, like I'm ignorant, you know what I mean? Instead of, uh, you know, going a certain way, I played into the norm and, and, and it sucks. And, 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 and I too have to apologize. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I I'm glad that I, I was able to change it and figure it out the right way and represent you know, my mom's culture and, and, and also be a good voice for, for the AAPI. You know what I mean? Like, this is what we need. And, and, and we're at that time now where, where it's happening. And, and I'm so happy. You know what I mean? We don't have to wait for the seven o'clock news to, to report. And, and we don't have to wait for the seven o'clock national news to, and, and pray to God that they talk about something locally that happened in Atlanta and tell the world about what happened in Atlanta. You know, there was a time where we prayed that, that we, we get to see something like that. See what happened in Atlanta with these women. You know what I mean? But now with social media, with TikTok and, and Instagram and Facebook, you're going to know about it right now. You're going to know about it today. And whoever did it, we're catching your ass because we're a community now. And it's not just Asians. It's everybody. We're all bonding together and we're going to plaster your face all over the place. And we're going to get these people in trouble and we're going to put them where they need to be put. And, and it's great to see this. If I can say that there's one great thing that's happening, it's that, you know, as, as it, it took something so evil and so horrific to happen, but but what's coming out of it is, is actually beautiful. It, it's people are talking, people are apologizing, people are banding together and and, and supporting, and and I love that. It's interesting you say you know you feel like you have things that you would that, to apologize for, or maybe even jokes that you regret um, because there is this you know this sort of idea that that white comedians you know are apologizing for certain things, but that maybe you know because you're an Asian comedian that you wouldn't have to apologize for these things or you wouldn't feel like you would need to, but are you saying that you, you do feel that way? Well, I think we all should take responsibility, right? Like, I mean, we all fell victim for it, you know, it, 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 but, but you also have to understand the pressure it is for you to be an Asian American, you know, especially during the times in the seventies and eighties and nineties where, you know, look at the, watch the movies, watch them. You know what I mean? How, how do you get inspired by that? How? How do you not think that that's normal? And and okay, well then that's what I got to do. So I do apologize, but I also understand the times. You know what I mean? It's a lot of pressure, man. It, it sucks. You know what I mean? Mr. Miyagi didn't speak Japanese, man. You know what I mean? He didn't speak it. That, that guy was a comic from America, stand-up comedian. And, and he had to because those are the roles that were given. You know what I mean? Pat Morita, by the way, Pat Morita, Pat Morita. I'm sorry, I, you know, I was just, I was just putting that to drive a point and, and let you guys know, like, as great as that character was, you know what I mean, as iconic as it was. But I'm just saying, that's how Hollywood was. If you want to play an Asian character, it's gonna be this Asian character. Uh, no one knew that Pat Morita was just funny on his own. You know what I mean? Like he was just an amazing comedic actor. You know what I mean? He was a great stand-up comic. You know what I mean? He came up with Richard Pryor and, 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 and Robin Williams. He came up with those guys. You know what I mean? But look at, look at the, look at the roles that were presented to him. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I get it. Like, yeah, I, we all had to do certain things, but it's look at the pressure that we had to deal with. Look at the roles that were given. Look, look what was normalized for us. You know what I'm saying? And and that's what I'm saying. You know, we we were just trying to fit in. There's this thought about sort of um, stereotypes in in comedy and whether what you're doing is sort of reinforcing stereotypes or challenging those stereotypes. And I think you've really done a lot to 
to kind of challenge those stereotypes while acknowledging that there is truth to them. Yeah. Um, so how do you think about that when you're, well, when what you're crafting I, jokes? What, what I love the most is I wanted to tell people I was Filipino without saying I was Filipino. And I knew <laughs> yeah. that I had to do it with my mom. And I knew I had to embody that character. And my whole thing is the relate relating to a mom character is very easy because moms are just moms, right? I don't know if I already said this, yeah but, yeah. but but at the end of my shows, when when people walk up to me going, yo, my mom used to rub Vicks on my eyes when I was sick too, and they're not <laughs> Filipino. You do you know how 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 happy that makes me? Like, like it means to, your your bit is relatable to, to everybody. Yeah, and not only that, but it's just it's a mom. You know what I mean? It's just a mom, and 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 like, and that's what I love the most. If we could just get past the tall grass and the weeds and just pull back and see the light, uh, we'll all understand that we're all just the same person, man. We really are. We all live and breathe, especially moms. Moms just live and breathe mom. They all do mom shit. You know what I mean? All moms have a, a handbag full of snacks. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, can, uh, you know, all moms have, find a way to, uh, take care of their kids by any means necessary. Like, you know, you tell those stories and you'll, you'll notice that we're all just relatable. We're all, we, I mean, we all relate to the same thing. So uh, that's, that's what I was getting at. When, when, when I, when I tell those stories about my mom, I, I feel like I'm doing a great representation for, you know, Filipinos and, and, and Asians in general, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does make me think though, when you do a bit um, like the, the long extended bit that you have about different telling people, telling Asians apart based on their accents. Um, you know, obviously there's, you have a lot of, you know, Asian fans who think that that's really funny and, and really relate to that. Do you ever worry that, that there's people in the audience laughing at it for the wrong reasons? No, because if you're laughing at it the wrong reasons, then, then you're a racist <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because nope, that joke, because it, because that joke in no way is derogatory. It, it, it not, not one sense of the word. There's no way you can even think of it that way. It's not even delivered that way. It's a compliment when you listen to that joke. And that's what I love the most because I am telling you there is a difference. And I, and I am telling you the accents are different. You know what I hate? I hate being an Asian American, being an Asian American and being lumped in as if, as if we're just one Asian. As if it's all the same. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's offensive. There's a way you can tell Asians apart from other Asians. It's by their accent, and only if they have accents. <laughs> Out of all the Asians, Koreans are the easiest, because when a Korean person talks, they sound like they've been smoking weed all day. <laughs> like right before they talk, just. <laughs> 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 Koreans sound like Asian ghosts. <laughs> I wrote a joke back in the day where I go, I'm half white, half Asian, right? Which means my dad's in the military. And I go on by saying, I hate telling people I'm half Filipino, half white, because when they find out I'm Filipino, they give me the worst compliments. Oh my God, you're Filipino? I love orange chicken. Like, <laughs> That's a real thing. You know what I mean? When I that, went was on in your, t- that was in your Leno set. Right? Yeah, yeah, and when I was on Leno, I changed it to Asian, but I used to deliver that thing as Filipino. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? But when I did The Tonight Show, I, t- I changed it to Asian. I put it in general. You know what I mean? But then I wore the flag on my chest to let everybody know that I was Filipino. But, uh, but, but that's... That's not a joke that I just wrote. That's a joke from reality. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, and people would talk to me like that. Like, oh, oh, you're Filipino. Like, like, what do you guys eat? Like chow mein? Like, no, man. Like, <laughs> no, we don't eat chow mein. And so like, that's the education behind that. It's like, yeah, man, I'm doing a joke. But if you really listen to it, there is a difference. You know what I mean? And, and, and what I love the most is how the, you know, the Vietnamese community embrace that joke. They love that joke. You know what I mean? Like they feel good. They, it's a representation, a good representation. Yeah. They feel seen. Yeah. They feel seen. They got a voice and, you know, it's empowering. It's, it's great to have that type of identity, especially on that stage where everyone gets to watch it. And, uh, yeah, I love it. I, I love that joke. And I, and, I, and I'm glad people are, are, are watching it and listening to it. Do you ever worry about, um, sort of being, pigeonholed as an as a quote identity comedian as opposed to being you know a broad comedian that that everybody can enjoy yeah i love that question that is such a great 
great question because like I said earlier, I'm talking about my mom and I'm talking about family and I don't see the difference between me talking about my mom and doing an accent or watching Eddie Murphy do his mom in her voice. He's not delivering his mother. When you watch Eddie, you know, do uh, his mom disciplining him or even his uncle Gus, you know what I mean? At the, by the fire, he becomes uncle Gus, right? He delivers those lines in their voice. It's still English. You know what I mean? So I don't know what the difference is between my mom or Louie Anderson's mom or, uh, or Eddie Murphy's mom or, or anyone that's doing their mom on stage. But for some reason, there's, there's this thing where people go, Oh, he's doing that thing with his mom. No, man, I'm, del- I'm, I'm acting like my mom. She's speaking perfect English. You understand it. The joke isn't the way she's saying it. The joke is what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you don't see that, then you're acting like you don't see it. And I love that you asked that question because Coming In Hot came out, my second special on Netflix, and Steven Spielberg watched it and he got it. And we're making a movie together. <laughs> it's incredible. So, so anyone out there that's still struggling with, uh, you know, He's speaking to a specific specific audience. Well, I'm glad that specific audience has Steven Spielberg in it. Tell me about that movie. Um, it's called Easter Sunday, right? Yeah, man. Easter Sunday. And it's with Dan Lin, by the way. Dan Lin. Uh, look him up. If you don't know who he is, he's an amazing uh, producer. Uh, Rideback Films. He, he It 1, It 2, Aladdin. All the Lego movies, that's Dan Lin. And of course, I don't need to, I don't need to tell you what Steven's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, I went in, Holly Barrio and uh and Jeb over there at uh Amblin Films, and you know, they 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 said uh Steven wants to work with you. Do you have any ideas? And I I pitched a, a movie that I already had in the works with Dan. We just had no writers attached or anything like that. It wasn't really wasn't moving forward yet, but it was. But I pitched that movie to Steven and uh, they took it in the room. And uh, and then they called Dan. And, and of course, Dan is like, yeah, let's do this together. And, and now here we are. We're about to shoot it. So... Uh, What's the uh, what's the sort of story or, or themes of the movie? Yeah, it's it's about my family. It's the struggle, you know, with with me and my family. It's comedy culture. It's uh, chaos, and it all happens in one day, Easter Sunday. And uh, <laughs> why and why Easter Sunday? Easter Sunday is uh, you know Filipinos. That's that's our day, bro. I mean, we love <laughs> Christmas, we love Thanksgiving, but Easter Sunday, that's, that's it. we we all come out for Easter Sunday, man. That's that's big. And, and it, it, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's a lot of food, it's a lot of family, it's a lot of church, it's a lot of outfits, it's a lot of karaoke, it's a lot of uh fights, it's a lot of talent, it's a lot of everything. And uh and I can't wait to show that in this movie. Are you going to uh, star in the movie as well? Uh yeah, it's my <laughs> movie. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about just these past few years of of Netflix specials that you've put out, which are, you know, just have really exploded your career. And you talk, you know, you mentioned before Comedy Central and, you know, the the Kims of comedy. And you had your they you had your first special on Comedy Central and you have some kind of some harsh words for that network in the book, I think, uh, just in terms of how that all went down. How do you think about that now, the whole Comedy Central versus Netflix thing? I just never got it. I never understood what Comedy Central and I love everybody over there, man. I, and I know I do this a lot. You know, I, I dance on it, but you know, like, I don't, you know what I do? Because I, like, why would I be that mad at, at a bunch of, I was working at Nordstrom Rack, by the way. And, you know, a bunch of, you know, execs that, that gave- Starting to think Nordstrom Rack is paying you. They, I know they need to pay me, <laughs> but I, I can't get too mad because they did give me an opportunity and they did invest a lot of money in me. I get that. They did it. They saw my act. You know what I mean? From from Doug Herzog, uh, Jim Sharp, to everyone else that that was on that team that gave it to me, and, and they they signed the deal with me. You know, for two specials, they shot we shot them, but I didn't understand why it never got aired. I just I didn't get it. There there was no YouTube at the time. There was no there was no streaming services at the time. Like I literally needed them to air it. They aired it one time and then it was done. And I just didn't get it. Like, I, like especially Don't Make Him Angry. There were so many like jokes on that special that I was just so proud of, man. Like, I was like, these are legend right here. You know what I mean? Like, and oh. you're and you're kind of burning the jokes when they they were uh, done when, after this. Yeah, they were done. I never did it again. But it, I was just like for years. I was just like, man, I, that. 
that closer I did on Don't Make Him Angry, man, should, it should have got love. Like, I, like to this day, I still talk to my son. I was like, yo, that joke was genius, man. Look at the breakdown of that joke. Look at <laughs> look at the callbacks on that joke. Look at the look at everything that I did with that joke was just so brilliant. And it was just like I got no love. They never aired it, and I was just like, wow, okay. And then they gave me lights out. You know, when I, you know, the, the sleep apnea joke with my mom and just me talking about sleep apnea, you know, it was just like, I was like, this is brilliant. Like, why aren't they playing this? You know what I mean? This, the world gets this. Like, why, why is it not being aired? I didn't understand. I just didn't understand. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a different model and, you know, that existed where you would have to watch it on TV, which is just like almost unthinkable now that you couldn't just watch it whenever you want it. Yeah. And then, you know, from, from lights out to all the way up until my Netflix special was, I, I believe I'm just, I, I think was five years, five or six years, which is a long time, which was like, I remember every year going, dude, I have another special ready. Let's go. And they were never offering. They weren't offering. And I was just like, wow, okay. Uh, and I didn't get it because I was selling out everywhere. I was packing houses, man. I was selling out multiple theaters. And look, I, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just, I'm trying to tell you my story. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you my story and see and see the frustration where it came from. All the way up until, you know, uh, Netflix, I still couldn't get in. I had to shoot it myself. And I didn't understand why. I knew I had to be at Netflix. Comedy Central offered when they found out that I was shooting one. They offered, but I, I knew that it, it would just die there. It was a graveyard. It was a graveyard. They weren't going to push it. They weren't going to promote it. They never do. And uh, and I knew that wasn't the platform for me. I knew I knew Netflix was a play because when they put Netflix started using other people's content on their platform, when they started getting like stand up specials from other platforms and putting it on theirs, that's when I knew Netflix had something because they put "Don't Make Them Angry." on Netflix. And then I, I remember Twitter was big at the time. And I remember looking at my Twitter and my follower account was just like, <laughs> it was like, it was like the, all of a sudden, yeah, it was just like blowing up. And I, and I didn't understand why. And then people were making references to my special. And I was just like, what? And then, uh, and then the like offers like, Oh my God, you should come to South Africa. Oh my God, you need to come to Australia. Oh my God, come to Dubai, please. And I'm like, where is this coming from? And then finally someone was like, cause I didn't even have Netflix at the time. Yeah. And then finally I, I remember DMing somebody. Like, I better get Netflix. No, I DM somebody <laughs> yeah. and I was like, how did you see this special? And they were like, your Netflix special. I'm like, Netflix. And I, I remember asking a friend. <laughs> I have a Netflix special? <laughs> yeah. And then I had uh, my friend open up. Netflix. No, I had my sister open up uh, Netflix because she had it. And there it was. Don't make him angry. And I was like, oh my God, there it is. And, and now people are starting to see it and people are loving it. And then all of a sudden it was gone again because Netflix, because uh, Comedy Central sold everything deal, to Amazon yeah. and then it was gone. And I was like, but that that brief moment, those three months that it blew <laughs> up, I that's when I knew I had to be on Netflix. And, and that's why I, 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 it was like literally burnt inside me. Like even though, even though Netflix said no to me, I was like, I'm gonna get it on there. <laughs> you said no today, but give me six months. I'll be right back. I have to go shoot it for you real quick. And thank God I did. So we end every episode of the podcast by asking comedians about other comedians who have made you laugh the hardest in your life. And I, I want us to do a couple different categories. So the first one is um, from your childhood. Who's sort of the, the earliest comedian that you remember really making you laugh? Because I know you you loved watching uh, comedy specials once you once you got HBO. Oh, yeah, that's so true. But I will say the audio tape of uh, Richard Pryor, I was I was crying laughing crying <laughs> my friend my friend uh i can't remember my friend's name that gave it to me i think william but he lived down the street and it, it was his dad's tape and he gave it to me and then uh and then eddie murphy came along and made delirious and i think that was 1981 ish i can't mm -hmm. don't quote me on it 81 82 i think i was like how old was i then oh god 81 i was 10 years old so when i saw that you know saw delirious live i was like um I need to be him. Like <laughs> I need to be him right now. One of my favorite jokes when he talks about getting hit by a car. One of the greatest, one of the greatest jokes ever written of all time. Like I just remember listening to that and just crying, laughing. I guess you're not going to need these shoes anymore. Like it was so funny. Like <laughs> it was so brilliant, man. And then uh, of course, ice cream. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, ice cream. Ice is, cream, is man. Just... Like I don't know what it was about Eddie that made me just drawn into him, but. 
I think now that I'm older, I, I think what, I, what it was is he was so young himself. You know what I mean? He was 21 when he shot that special. Yeah. You and felt I, close, close to him in some way. Yeah. There was just something about him. Like it was like, you know, and I don't know, it was just genius. I, I love, I, I love that special. And, and that, that's the one that made me become a comedian. Like that's the one that, that I, I was going to be a comedian. And what's crazy is I, I played a uh, constitutional hall. My dream gig, by the way, I, I still have the text to my manager. I wrote down three things that I want to play. And, and one of them was Constitutional Hall. You know, I, I said the Forum were Staples, the Opera House in Sydney, and Constitutional Hall in D.C. Those are the three I had to play. And I, and I played Constitutional Hall, which is where he shot Delirious. I did two shows there. And, uh, and I remember going and getting a red jacket and wearing it. And it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing, man. Have you played the Sydney uh, Opera House yet? No, and I could have too, because I sold Sydney out like... I sold it out. I sold so many tickets in Sydney, and I, and I could have played. I could have played three. I could have played three. Uh, I could have played three opera houses, and and it sucked because the minute we decided to play Australia, they decided to renovate the opera house. But I, I ended up playing the Super Theater out there, and it was amazing. So you got to well, see. You're it. gonna have to go back. Oh, I'll, I'm going back for sure. Um, so the next one is who's someone who you either toured with or worked with in some way that just makes you laugh uh, harder than anybody else, maybe off stage. Oh my God, off stage. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say you know Chappelle. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, you could sit there and just watch Chappelle, not only laugh, but like get enlightened and educated. <laughs> you know, I mean, the guy's a genius. So uh, like, I'd be lying if I didn't put him at the top. And then another guy that you, that I toured with and laughed off stage, Mike Epps, op- opening for Mike Epps and then crushing in front of him and then going backstage and then just like watching him crush after me like, oh shit. All right, this guy. And then of course, Cedric the Entertainer, like, oh my God, man, he's a god. Cedric's a god, bro. You know what I mean? From from the way he dresses to the way he uh to the way he delivers his lines to the to the confidence to the likability to the content to the swag to everything. I mean, the guy is just he's a legend, man, and and I love that guy. Yeah, I opened for him and uh, another guy I crushed in front of. I I crushed in front of Cedric. <laughs> like I think there was like 3,000 people there to see him. And work, I was working at Nordstrom Rack. <laughs> and I, I remember crushing hard. Like, I remember when I said goodnight, in my head, I'm like, yo, there ain't no way this motherfucker is going to be able to follow this. <laughs> Cedric going to follow this. <laughs> there ain't no way Cedric's going to follow this. And I remember turning to my left and seeing him on the side of the stage, just bouncing. He got a fedora on. I tell the story all the time. <laughs> He's got his whole outfit on. Everything matches. And, uh, and I walked towards him like just like what the fuck and he looked at me he's like that's what i'm talking about joe coy make me work for this motherfucking money uh, and then he fucking gives me a just daps me up and then walks out on stage and, and i remember about 30 seconds into his routine I, I remember saying to myself none of them remember me not one yeah. person not one person in that audience even i don't even think they knew there was a guy that opened for cedric at this point it's it's done rest <laughs> in peace joe coy it's gone so yeah that that that's that's that's, that's one of those guys and then is there somebody who's sort of like uh an up-and-comer or you know a generation below you who you want to shout out who you think's really funny and deserves uh some attention oh man there's a lot of kids out there man uh god there's a kid mateo lang yeah mateo lane yeah he's he's so funny he's gonna be big he's gonna be so big you know she's she's not she's not small anymore you know what i mean she's she's kind of killing it right now but uh fortune feemster another chelsea handler alum yeah she's a chelsea handler alum but i but what she's done as far as like her stand-up is just she's so funny it's yeah. amazing i i love i love her her stories man i i god i could go on forever man yeah beth stelling man so funny man she's fantastic i just had her on uh a few months ago when her special came out. Yeah, so funny, man. She's great. Thank you so much for doing this, Joe. It's really uh, really great to, to talk to you and I really enjoyed the book. Thank um, you. So yeah, congrats on, on everything. You're awesome, man. Thank you. On all of your success. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks again to Joe Coy. You are awesome as well. Easter Sunday is playing in theaters right now, so definitely go check that out if you are able to. And Joe's fourth Netflix special, Live from the Los Angeles Forum, premieres Tuesday, September 13th, so look out for that as well. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. 
And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week.